and welcome back to another episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. This is another summer edition. We're doing uh, team previews, and we're at the Houston Rockets. We're at our first playoff team. And I think it's a pretty optimistic podcast, but we had a lot of fun talking with uh, Ethan Rothstein of The Dream Shake, one of our SB Nation NBA communities. We love tapping into these wealths of knowledge. And as always, I'm Ben Epstein, and we have Mike Prada, my co-host. That's at Mike Prada SBN. Hit him up with Twitter questions. We answer them as we go through the podcast. We always appreciate that. You can shoot me questions at EpiBen, and the podcast is at limited underscore upside. Those are where we get to the fan questions. You'll see we get to those. But this was a great podcast uh, about the Houston Rockets. Weird team, interesting new pieces, one kind of very uh, out there, but also grounded in so far as we know he's a top 10 player. But what does that really mean? Superstar James Harden. I think you all really like it a lot. But before you listen to it, before you listen to it, please subscribe, rate, review, all those good things that you can uh, that you can do on this podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. We love the feedback. So give us comments. Those uh, reviews are greatly appreciated. Um, so please, please keep sending those. And as always, send those questions, like I mentioned earlier, at Mike Prada SBN. You can hit them up at Mike Prada at SBNation.com if you want to email those. The podcast itself is at limited underscore upside. I'm at EpiBen. Please, please, please keep sending us those questions. We love it. Makes us better. Makes the show more interesting. We want to hear what y'all have to say. But please enjoy this Houston Rockets Limited Upside Podcast. Shut up and sit down. All right, Ethan Rothstein, Dream Shake, SB Nation's Houston Rockets blog. I got to be honest with you. I've watched basketball teams very closely for the last few years as part of this job. Other than my own team, the Wizards, I don't think there was a single team that frustrated me more as a viewer than last year's Houston Rockets. And it must have been, I don't know how it could have possibly been if I had a rooting interest in the Houston Rockets. So... I mean, how frustrating was last year for a Rockets fan? The worst part about it, I would say, is that, you know, every day I had to, or most days I had to put up like a game thread with like 100, 150 words just trying to find something that wasn't, you know, the most depressing suicidal thing imaginable. <laughs> and, you know, they would have these, they would have these games, you know, they beat the Spurs on Christmas, um, you know, they would have, they beat the fully healthy Thunder and they were like, man, this really feels like a turning point. They played well. They played together. Both Dwight and Harden went off. And then they just the next eight games would just completely mail it in, and just it would they would look awful. There'd be you know stories coming out about you know back backroom sniping. Um, it was it was really miserable to go through on a day to day basis. And also because you know as someone who is you know uh, you know writing about this all the time and and on social media talking about it all the time this culture of you have to be a huge supporter of the team and be like a cheerleader while well, you're watching them just basically just tank on the you know tank for no reason on the floor um so you would be saying like wow this is embarrassing or this is awful or like i don't know what harden is doing or what howard is doing they both seem like they're not trying very hard and then people be like you know you you suck like you're you're not a real fan it's just like it got, you know, anyone it got who meta then it, it, there's levels to this frustration 
Fredo, what yeah. makes you so specifically mad, though? I mean, they were. I mean, you watched them play, right? I, mean, I did, were, I did. But I want you to tell me what made you so hurt by watching this team. They, they just to me, like they couldn't do the the stuff that seems basic. Like they're just their transition defense was just an abomination, and their offense so often, you know, while effective, was just kind of everybody standing around. It just didn't look like they were cohesive at all. You could kind of feel that they didn't like each other, and they would. That's I mean, for they, sure. Even within games, they would just sort of have these stretches where the the bottom fell out. And you look at the way the team was constructed, and you just felt like so so much could have been possible. And I think also, and Ethan, you can back this me up on this if you want. I think last year, the year before, I should say, they were kind of the complete opposite. They were, I would say, they got more out of what they should have been. They played really hard. Their sort of defining character was just how hard they played. And even if, like, execution-wise, they weren't particularly sharp, they just that effort and that activity kind of carry them to, to the conference finals. And it's, like, almost the entire same team. And the complete opposite was true of last year's team in terms of its character. Yeah, no, that's exactly that's exactly right. I mean, <laughs> that's, what, that's what made it the most frustrating is that you just knew that for whatever reason they just didn't want to play the the way they knew we knew they could play and the way that you know was together but was also winning basketball um and they public they said everything's fine we just got to turn it around we have the same group of guys and it's just there was such a disconnect between what they were saying and what we'd watched last year and what we were seeing on the court and when they weren't trying, I mean, the transition defense was also what got back to me. And that's like the example of a team that's not trying hard enough and a team that's not, that doesn't have each other's backs. It's just open layups, right? Yeah. You know, the, no one's covering for each other. And then, the, you know, we would call, the coach would call timeout and they would just be dead eyed. You know, they would come back to the bench and there'd be no emotion on like any of their face except for Trevor Rezar, who was just like, the, come on, man, like, that type of that type of reaction, and it was just, you know, on a day to day basis watching, uh, you know, basically all the games from start to finish without watching many other teams. You know, it was mm-hmm. really just it was depressing to watch because you knew the potential of that team, and they were so theoretically talented. And it was yeah, it was it was, well, it was just annoying. <laughs> there's quite a few uh, parallels between the this roster and players who were on the Wizards like two years ago. Now that we're as bringing that up, Mike, like every day. <laughs> just looking at this is kind of funny. I think the Rockets' failure was was more dramatic just because they were a better team the previous year. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. But I, I wonder, you know, I wonder how much of this is that you know a lot of times the best player isn't the leader. But there is someone who can fulfill that role, like we saw with maybe Draymond Green in Golden State, where Steph is the best player, but he probably isn't their motivational leader on the court or in the locker room. Who knows how that works? But it would appear that there is a leadership uh, ability in, in other players in the team. Maybe that doesn't exist around him, and clearly Dwight was the the antithesis of who you want as the other guy to pick up the slack in leadership. Do you think... Ethan, that's maybe part of this dynamic here. That, And sometimes that's the most toxic kind when your best player actually is one of the guys who is not leading by example at all. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think Dwight Howard, For it's so impossible to know what was going on beside, behind the scenes. I mean, I was in a locker mm-hmm. room. Maybe the reporters in the locker room had it more figured out and just didn't report on it. You know, there wasn't the... 
um, the palace intrigue of the the Lakers, where everyone mm-hmm. everyone knows what's going on with the Lakers all the time, um, mm-hmm. and for all we knew from the Rockets is what people were telling us, and it was really just nothing. So, but it really did seem like neither Harden and Howard just did not get along at all, and it wasn't just that the best player on the team wasn't a leader; is that there was just a leadership vacuum, mm-hmm. and it was so toxic that I don't think anyone really wanted to step in there. Um, you know, neither Harden or Howard were willing to piece, patch things together, and I think that no one was willing to try to be the bridge. I think Jason Terry was kind of on the outside, um, demanding more leadership, sure. uh, but he was not in the position to really be that guy. Um, and so I think Howard leaving, it seems like this summer there's been a lot more cohesion. They're like working out together instead of working out with the Kardashians. Sure. Um, and is that the so new show? It, is that the, yeah, I think. Yeah, I, yeah so exactly. Team, Harden's working out with the right team this summer. ESPN 2 working out with the Kardashians is on at 9.30 now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm the well, OJ. not featuring James Harden anymore. Yeah, well, probably good for his career. I look at this team, though, and I feel like as the roster is now comprised, and Prada, maybe you can handle this one, I don't see any additions that are guys I think of as those bold leaders as much as maybe more, you know, supplementary parts like Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, all guys with question marks from injuries coming from, I guess in their case, the same team uh, in New Orleans there. But I look at guys who have a history of history of being those pieces to fill in as role players, but no one else to kind of be that Robin, if you will. Is there someone on this roster that you think is that player Prater or, or what are your thoughts on kind of these no additions? I think, Houston is sort of this organization, the philosophy of this organization has always been, let's get guys who are good, let's get a, let's get good talent, and you know, not to say that, that this stuff that we're talking about, they don't acknowledge it, but I think it's sort of, you build a good team and it sort of, if, if not takes care of itself, then at least it's, it's not a, uh, as big a priority. Now, I wonder if last year's failure may change that view, but I think... This is going to ultimately come down to Harden. And while I, I do think it's easy to say, well, you know, look at the guy. He doesn't play any defense. He was not in great shape to start the year. He pounds the ball. He sets a bad tone. It was just a year ago where none of those things were true, and he kind of lifted up a untalented team. So I think maybe some things that happened last year, we'll see what happens, may have been a result of perhaps it was the Howard Harden dynamic and the lack of leadership, but it also might have just been a lot of things coming together at the wrong time to start the year. There was also the Ty Lawson integration that went poorly, a few too many little tweaks on a system, some players that they had that played key roles a year before, you know, Josh Smith was gone, Uh, Terrence Jones had a really tough year, Corey Brewer really regressed as a player, you know add up a few of those things. And then also just Dwight Howard not being as, as good a player as he was the year before and you know when he was in the playoffs. And you add all those things up and you can see maybe there's a domino effect. And maybe if if Harden is just in a better place and you know it's not as important who the leader is as just, you know, does this mix sort of make a little more sense around him. Now the team is really, I think, centered around Harden's capabilities, whereas before maybe it was this uneasy marriage between Harden and Howard. Well, Ethan, does that addition? I'm praying. I think you're you're right about most of that. Does the addition though of D'Antoni make these pieces fit more appropriately? Is it better for Harden's game? How do we think D'Antoni is going to get the most out of this roster and these these new additions uh, in your eyes, Ethan? I mean, I think they kind of go hand in hand. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I, uh, Prady, I think you hit it like 
right on the head. I think it's actually kind of addition by subtraction. Just hmm. the fact that now, because before it was really, um, it was really marketed and, and, and billed as the Howard and Harden show or the Harden and Howard show. There, you know, there was two guys and I would imagine that didn't help the dynamic. Now it's, you know, it's Harden's team. It's Harden's show. They got a coach who is known for just putting the ball in one dude's hand and making everything flow from him, which I'm sure was music to James Harden's ears. Um, this, and, Daryl Morey even gave an interview, said, of course, Harden was brought in on the process and consulted. Um, I would imagine that uh, Harden was fine with it. So I do think that uh, the D'Antoni, I don't really know how much it changes because it kind of just reinforces what they had planned to do all the long, all along, which is just give the keys to James Harden and say, you're our guy. And we're going to go as far as he takes you, as you take us. And he's and he's there more long term as well uh, with his contract session now. D'Antoni, I thought, was a little bit of a surprising choice when it happened because if you think about just how the Rockets were last year, you would think that they would need sort of a strong, defensive-oriented, disciplinarian kind of let's cut out this stupid stuff that we did type of coach that would just have the team playing solidly and then kind of hopefully Harden's offensive greatness would maybe cover for the rest. But instead, they get a coach who's obviously known for his offensive system, maybe not as successful other than Steve Nash at kind of reaching these star players, obviously he had trouble in New York and LA, not exactly like the two easiest jobs to, to take care of, but still a concern. And yet, and, and also a, a coach who at least has a reputation of skimping on maybe some of the defensive details and sort of is more of an certainly offensive oriented. And also just sort of his, his main, philosophy is kind of a little bit more free-flowing rather than let's kind of really hammer down these details but do you think that D'Antoni was the right choice uh or do you think that they should have gone for maybe a Frank Vogel or maybe someone else that could have kind of recalibrated the team in a different way I mean at sort we I certainly didn't expect expect a D'Antoni hire I had kind of put all my eggs in the Frank Vogel basket and he didn't get even a phone call as far as it was reported, um, which was just infuriating because at the end of the year, it really did seem like that was what the Rockets were missing was defense and discipline um, and getting more out of their players. Um, And, you know, they didn't call Vogel. Uh, Jeff Van, a lot of Rockets fans were clamoring for Jeff Van Gundy which I was not as big of a fan, uh, as big of a fan, because people, you know, the idea was need to get someone Harden would respect. And Van Gundy, while well, he seems like a great guy and a smart guy, you know, if you're saying if James Harden didn't respect Kevin McHale, I don't know if bringing Jeff Van Gundy is going to, you know, flip the switch. Um, Van Gundy so. is, uh, he's like the John Gruden of the yeah. NBA. He's just a good ex-coach who's been in the booth for a while. People know him. His brand cachet to these younger players is that they know him from ESPN and not yeah. from even coaching, which is kind of crazy. It's a perfect comparison. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. guy. Um, <laughs> but now that D'Antoni's here, uh, you know, it's 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 weird. I mean, I, I kind of say, hate to say whether he's the right or the wrong guy because they haven't played a game yet, so we don't right. really know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, one would think that uh, Harden seems to be in, he's healthy this year. He was people forget that he also hurt had a hurt ankle last summer that certainly contributed to his being out of shape and you know off the court issues that didn't help. Um, and this year he seems to be a lot more focused. So that's also hard. It's going to be making it a little kind of harder to tell if Harden is just MVP Harden. Um, then 
you know, and I think that's really more about him than whoever's coaching him. I don't think Kevin McHale was the guy who brought it out of Harden. I think he Harden has it in him, and it's up to him to play to that level or not. Um, so, but if he's that level, you know, it's going to make D'Antoni look like a genius. Um, so it, it's going to be hard to tell. But I mean, the defensive end um, is going to be a concern. But days, <laughs> yes, <it laughs> D'Antoni, is. oh man, yeah, D'Antoni has shifted so much of the blame on the defense onto Bizdelic. You know, the, his his uh, Jeff Bizdelic, who's the defensive coordinator, that's like his official title, um, and. So it's interesting. People, he's got a reputation for not caring about defense, and he's basically came out in his opening press conference says like, "Jeff Bazelik is doing the defense." Um, he's like, "I'm the head coach." He's like, "Defense, all that guy." Like, I he basically acknowledging I don't care about the defense, so I'm paying this guy and giving him the blame to worry about that. Yeah, doubling down um, on the base. It's a, it's a well, I don't know how that's. I don't know how that's worked before. I mean, I don't. <laughs> Doc Rivers was never in press conferences in Boston saying. You know, Tom Thibodeau, he's the defense. Like, don't ask me questions about it. It's one of those things that literally is true. Like, there are defensive assistant coaches, but it is weird to just kind of flat out say it like that. Yeah, it was an introductory press conference saying, like, Jeff Bazelik is going to do the defense. He's a really smart guy. I trust him. You know, I mean, and it kind of made me feel a little better. I was like, all right, well, at least D'Antoni's not like, I'm going to fix the defense. Because no. I don't think I would, that would make me more concerned. But it's well, so, it's just a weird place to be in. As I don't know what to think about it. Until my they question, my question then is: You mentioned like that one guy will have the ball in his hands making the plays, which historically, at the best of D'Antoni, was Steve Nash, who is you know mm-hmm. an, a historically great point guard. Whereas Harden can be a guy where that ball does the opposite, just kind of sticks in his hands. And he's a good passer when he wants to be. Uh, he does, and actually has the one thing I will say is that uh, on paper, this should be a well-spaced court for three-point shooters like Ariza and Anderson and Eric Gordon, who should have plenty of open looks, assuming that you know Harden's maneuvering the way he usually does. Do you think that there'll be an uptick uh, in those assists this year from Harden, that he could potentially be among the league leaders while his points decrease in order to facilitate these new pieces uh, shooting from the wings? I do. I don't know how big it's going to be. He he was, I think, sixth or seventh in the league yeah. in assists last year, yeah. um, and he had, I think, seven a game. So I mean, that's a lot, especially that's in for today's, sure. today's NBA. I think he's going to have a lot more passes, though, and a lot less maybe uh, time of possession. You know, mm-hmm. maybe still take up the same amount, but I think they'll take quicker shots. I think a lot of the problem last year, you know, when I was watching the games and going over the tape, is that when Harden played with Howard. Um, Howard wouldn't really roll. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about how, you know, Dwight Howard is asking for more possessions in the posts, um, even though he led the league in, in post touches. But it's not even as, as much that when he set when he set screens, he didn't roll hard to the basket. And it was very easy for his guy to kind of come up and and double Harden for a second and then fall back. And then Harden you know, had the ball with 10 seconds left and the action was over. Um, so yes, he, he, he did kind of pound the ball a lot th- uh, last year, but when Clint Capella was in, uh, the ball moved a lot better because Capella would set the screen and just go to the basket and he would get a lot of alley-oops. He's not a great secondary passer. Uh, but I think with more spacing, with more Capella, less, and even Nene is a pretty good role man, um, and a really good passer. Um, I think, I think he, his assist might not go up too much, but I think the ball is just going to move a lot better. I do think that. Now, D'Antoni, I believe, said he he thinks that Harden could average 12 to 13 assists a game <laughs> this year. Uh, I, I remember seeing that. Um, but I, I think you're right. I, offensively, this team could be a real delight. I mean, you have Harden handling the ball. Maybe you have 
so much shooting, and you have Capella, who, like you said, is just going to kind of dart down the lane. I mean, I think a big key for them, I mean, they have to be, I think, a top five offense and maybe even better given their defensive concerns to kind of really be where you'd hope they'd be. I think they could be. Like, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I, I think that you look at all the shooting they have, it's also, I think, a lot of the kind of backside action looping that they can do off the pick and roll with guys like Gordon and Anderson. I think they could draw up some really cool stuff. Uh, I think Capella is one of those guys that if he's rolling hard, he'll just suck in so much attention. You know, a big key to getting there, I think, will be that they have to play with more pace, which means they kind of have to stop this, just kind of like give the ball to Harden and everybody kind of stop moving. They've got to get up the court faster. And hopefully Harden being in better shape will help that. Well, I would be I would be shocked if they were not top five offense, uh, assuming everyone's healthy. Now, with that being said, and that we know they have a defensive coordinator, where will they be falling in the defensive side of this um, of that equation? If they're top five, where ideally, Ethan, would you like to see them? I should say, uh, then Mike, you I, can tell me where you think they'll go. I think their ceiling is like fifteen or sixteen, like best mm-hmm. case scenario. That's a 45 uh, I, win team then. That's a that's no, a pretty that's decent more than team. A 45 you think? Yeah, 45 48 team. 50 win team. Okay. I mean, if you can get if they can get to 15th in defense and man, I think that would be an amazing accomplishment. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Capella is really good uh, around the rim. Um I I think he's going to have a big leap. He's like a young Tyson Chandler. Um, in a lot of ways, he's not as broad as Tyson Chandler was, but Tyson Chandler, young Tyson Chandler was not as broad as Tyson Chandler is. Sure. Um, but he, he cuts this, he, he cuts the same way. Um, and he's really explosive. Um, and he's got great second le- leaping ability. Uh, Trevor Reeser is still a good defender. I think last year he kind of got caught up in watching everyone else give up layups and he's, he kind of stopped trying as well, but I think he's, <laughs> I think he's really good. Um, and he's so still really good. It was a good. cool thing to do on the Rockets last year. Yeah, I mean, it's, it. You after. I mean, it plays so many games, and just watching it happen after like thirty games, and you're losing by twenty some nights. Um, I, I I understand, you know. Like, I have I no really, idea what that feels like. Yeah, I don't really hold. I don't really hold Trevor Reza accountable. Um, but I think so. I think he'll be better, and Beverly's there. So the ingredients are there. Anderson starting makes me nervous. Um, Anderson and Harden starting and playing maybe like 25 minutes together a game makes me very nervous. Yeah. Um, but assuming that you know they can scheme around that a little bit, I think their their peak is 15. I think they can get there, but I think more realistic is like 20. Yeah, I mean they just have too many minuses. I mean Anderson is one. Of, I think honestly is the worst, maybe the worst forward defender in the league. I do remember, I believe it was against Rockets where they played the Pelicans and. I remember, I forget when it was, it was in some midseason game, but I remember noting this. They basically ran the same very basic high pick and roll play at Ryan Anderson to, I think the Pelicans were winning. Uh, and Ethan, tell me if I'm misremembering some of the details of this game. They, they ran the same exact basic high pick and roll play for about six, seven, eight times in a row on Ryan Anderson, and it results in a layup every time, and that removed the deficit in the third quarter. So the Rockets obviously know that Ryan Anderson is a terrible defender. It didn't dissuade them from giving him almost 19 mil a year. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, more than 19 million a year. Yeah, he's over 20. Is yeah. he? Yeah. I thought he was like 18.7 or something yeah, like four that. Four years, Whatever. 80 million. So that didn't – and like like we know about Harden's defensive issues. I think there's some disagreement about whether it's all effort or whether it's just 
there's he's fundamentally flawed. I think you know in moments he will be very can be very kind of energetic on the ball, but just off the ball he falls asleep. And I don't think I even don't even really think like his year two years ago he was up particularly like kind of made great strides in that area. We just kind of forgot about it because he was so good elsewhere. Uh, last year we kind of remembered like he's I think he's a big minus. If Eric Gordon is playing with those two, like he's also a big minus because he really can't move anymore. Capella's got these great tools but i don't think he really kind of has the intelligence at this point in his career to back up so many bad defenders and and ariza as good as he can be he gambles a lot i think that was true even when he was with the wizards you know and beverly if if harden is going to play the one and you need to play gordon like beverly may see some of his minutes cut uh he might just have to play all this time just to give him some defender i mean your brewer is going to play a lot more with these guys I to don't think so. Too. Brewer was pretty terrible last year. I think it would be a really bad thing if he played Athletically a lot. speaking, you can't have uh, Eric Gordon. Just three of – if you have Eric Gordon, James Harden, and Ryan Anderson on the court together athletically in the NBA, you're at an incredible disadvantage. Brewer is also a pretty uh, inattentive and just kind of – is one yeah, of those defenders that just kind of – Yeah, sure, kinda, sure. yeah he's, he's kind of like all wound up and he may commit silly fouls. Pablo Prigioni is going to steal like seven inbounds passes this season, so that'll be that'll <laughs> right, be great. He's back, yeah. So <laughs> I think it. I think re- they could be as bad as twenty fifth if they can get into the high twenties. That that seems realistic. If they can get any higher than that, I I don't know how they can do it. They just have too many minus spots, and I think defense is more about limiting your minus spots than having a bunch of positive spots. Let me ask a question to Ethan. We had a good question from that can tie in here uh, from one of the listeners here. I'm going to mispronounce the name because it's probably, I don't know, Pool Kayak, uh, something like that. Um, Ethan, how do you see Gordon improving the Rockets' backcourt? Uh, he was terrible in New Orleans apart from his spot-up three-point shooting. So what is Gordon going to interject into this? Uh, I guess we just were talking about him, but when actual X's and O's and how he's going to mess with the team, what is he in this NBA today? I mean, he's an improvement over Corey Brewer. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Corey Brewer was so bad last year. I mean, it pains me to say that because he was so good the year before. <laughs> um, he was so good in the playoffs. Him and Josh Smith basically beat the Clippers. Um, and last year, was, he was just awful. Uh, I mean, the year before, when the Rockets were really good, the number one player in transition, points per possession, was Corey Brewer. Number two <laughs> was LeBron James. Um, that's how good he was. And a lot of that was, you know, his steals and his activity. And he was just so bad last year. He missed so many open layups. He, like, I think he went two months without hitting a three-pointer, and it wasn't for lack of trying. Um, <laughs> I think just giving his minutes to Eric Gordon is going to improve the team. I don't know by how much, but I think it'll prove it. I think a sleeper is KJ McDaniels. Hmm. Um, you know, I think Dan Tony, it's, it's kind of a clean slate. You know, he really did not get a shot by the Rocket, last Rocket staff. And sure. even though Mikhail was gone, it was everyone else was the same, and he just got buried. Um, and I think the fact that they didn't even try him when Brewer was such a disaster was really disappointing. Um, and I think if he has a good training camp, he was he, didn't, he looked great in a couple games at Summer League, not so great in a couple others. Um, but I think, you know, he, I think Eric Gordon will improve the offense, but I think, you know, in, in terms of wing athleticism, I think KJ McDaniels is a sneaky candidate for uh, some yeah. pretty important minutes. Sure. He's he's extremely athletic. I mean, he can't shoot worth a damn. But 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 we'll play defense. We'll crash the boards. He plays a lot bigger than he is. I, I mean, mean, if Harden's at the one, Gordon's at the two, and mm-hmm. McDaniels is at the three, um, and Ariza's at the four, and Capella's yep. at the five, 
Um, then you have three, you know, you have, you have three plus defenders. Harden is actually really good at defending power forwards against yeah, it's, the it's Warriors. He was, it's because he doesn't have to pay as much attention to cutting, right? He does, he <laughs> can just be yeah. on his guy, and he's really he's solid strong. Too. Yeah, exactly. He's really strong. Exactly. So I think that's actually a weird um, solution to the Ryan Anderson problem is just kind of have them switch guys. Well, the, then the problem is that Ryan Anderson's going to have to chase a perimeter player. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, they'll try a bunch of stuff. I think for stretches, Anderson's going to be unplayable. Um, but I think, you know, Ariza is, is pretty good at, at playing the small ball four for stretches. Harden mm-hmm. can take, like, some bigger fours. Um, so I think there's funky combinations that they can try. I don't know that they will. I hope they will. Um, and they still might not work, but I think that they have some flexibility. Do you think that Beasley or Decker or uh, Harrell, or Harrell, however you pronounce his last name, uh, mm-hmm. Montrez Harrell, do, are, are either of those three going to factor into that small forward power forward rotation in any way that kind of would fill any of those deficits we just talked about? Uh, I think Beasley will get the first shot. He was yeah. like really good offensively yeah. for the Rockets last year. He wasn't yeah. really good defensively, but again, last year uh, defensively is just a wash. I mean, I don't know what to make of it. Um, I don't know how to evaluate anyone on an individual level. Everyone was bad. So, sure. but offensively, he was just completely automatic from mid range, um, mm. and his job was to go in and get buckets, and he did it really, really well. So, I think we'll get a shot to play. That sounds like someone that D'Antoni would love to tool, tool around with. Decker feels still too. He was he kind of missed last year because he was had a back injury all year, and he just looks so thin. And the idea of him play, I just think he might get banged off the floor a little bit. I I don't feel like he's ready. Um, Harrell is has a, is really hot tempered. Um, he, he I think yeah. he got like a couple of technicals in summer league. Uh, he got, he pushed a ref in the D league last year. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, he's uh, he's great hustle. Um, but you know that's the kind of stuff that puts you in coaches' doghouses. Yeah, well, except for Rick Pitino. Rick Pitino loves that. It shows fire. There's one guy we haven't mentioned yet. Um, he's sort of a hot-button guy. I think he was a fan favorite. I might be misinterpreting this, but Donatus Montiunis. Mike, I said mm-hmm. that correctly. Um, Ethan, what is the state of Montiunis right now with the Rockets? Where does he sit? Uh, it's kind of a restricted free agency stalemate. Because he's okay. not as good as Eric Gordon or Tristan Thompson, it's not getting very much attention. And he doesn't have Rich Paul as an agent, so he's mm-hmm. not getting a lot of, you know, he's not complaining to the media constantly. His agent is BJ Armstrong, and he just did that like last week. Mm-hmm. But the Rockets haven't offered him anything. He has until, I think, October to uh, sign his qualifying offer, which is still on the table. No other team's offering him anything. It's really strange because he got traded to the Pistons last year, right. uh, and then the Pistons canceled the trade because they were worried about his back, but then he played the rest of the year and was fine. Um, it seemed to be healthy this summer. Um, and there's just no mo- movement. And as far as Maury's concerned, there's really no incentive whatsoever to offer him a contract um, because, you know, because of his back concerns, the qualifying offer to the Rockets, I'm sure seems fair. And that's, you know, the minimum amount of risk until, until Modinus decides that he would just become an unrestricted free agent. And, you know, I think the deadlines, you know, like first week of October, there's no incentive for Maury to do anything unless another team comes in and, and signs him. I wouldn't be shocked if like the Nets or someone's like just randomly signs to do an offer. I, like I would be shocked. Yeah, I mean they would have done it already. I, I, I would think... be shocked. It wouldn't be the craziest thing that ever happened. Yeah, this will probably hope I think end with him on the qualifying offer. I mean they they could use him. Like their their backup center now is Nene, and you know Nene's going to miss twenty twenty five <laughs> games a year. So there it is. Yeah, as well. he'd that be is... really good. He's a great passer um, and a great uh, post 
post finisher when he's healthy. Yeah, the when he's healthy thing is the problem. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. But the Rockets really missed his passing last year. No, yeah, that is the classic um, when you've in, aged out center's body, he can only really play for like a month at a time. It's just the, the reality of it. I want to get to a couple more questions and then we can talk a little bit more about Harden because I think this is a really fascinating year for him. This is from Spet Zanas. We talked a little bit about this, but how do you see Clint Capella fitting in and why should uh, I'll amend this question to add this part? Why should everybody get super excited about Clint Capella uh, this year? Well, his he's this is his second year in the league. Um, his, his first year, he only played like 10 games before he played in the playoffs. But then he was great randomly in the playoffs against the Warriors who went out to win the championship. And last year, um, whenever Dwight was hurt, he went to the starting lineup and he played great. His per 36, uh, per 36 minutes, he averages a double-double with two blocks. Um, he's a great athlete. He's got great hands, which is, you know, a lot of players who are as raw as him, that's one of the big problems is their hands. Um, and that's not an issue with him. He catches a lot of stuff. He still commits as a, commits a bunch of dumb fouls, and he's maybe the worst free throw shooter of the league outside of Andre Drummond. Um, but weirdly enough, he hit 60% on his free throws in the D-League uh, his rookie year before he came to the Rockets and I think missed his first 17 free throws of his career. Um but that's why he has that same Dwight Howard mental block about it, I guess. Not great for him to be around. But um, he is an amazing athlete, um, and mm. he plays super hard, um, and he's got great timing and great hands. And I think he's just really fun to watch. And every time he came in, the Rockets, last year, the Rockets' energy level seemed to go up. And that might have just been because they no longer have to play with Dwight. But it was just, <laughs> it was like night, it was night and day how much better the team, the team around him played. I think he's a sleeper, most improved player candidate. I think he's going to put up big numbers. I think he's going to put up big block numbers. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people don't quite know what kind of fun, exciting player you could be. I, I think he's a real sleeper, most improved player candidate. Is he a cat who is he a cat who grew up playing soccer and that's why he's got great feet and like ability to fluidly move around an athletic field? I don't know, but I mean, he's from Switzerland. Switzerland, he, right? Yeah. I think he, he grew up in Africa at first, but he spent his okay. teenage years in, in Switzerland, um, mm. and he played in, in France. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's played a lot of soccer. Yeah. Um, well, there's always that good direct yeah. translation. I mean, it's real. It's real with Embiid. It was real oh, with yeah. Olajuwon, obviously. I don't have to tell you. Um, it was the site named after him. But, you know, the those little things, the the defensive traits, the ability to move your body, keep your man in front of you, all the same parallels exist. So there's like a, a blueprint almost for soccer players when they get into basketball. It's yeah, kind of an interesting thing. He's got great instincts. Yeah. Um, uh, which, which come from that. Go ahead, Mike, introduce the main topic. So I want to talk about James Harden. I think uh, before we get to predictions, like what, what I, I'm often confused by, I, I think there has developed this obvious sort of, I don't want to call it a meme, but sort of, or even a narrative, but just sort of this. When you say James Harden's name, the first thing that comes to mind is like, oh, that guy just falls asleep on defense all the time. That guy is kind of a fraud, you know, with this free throw shooting. I think there's also an equally, if you say James Harden's name to a lot of Rockets fans, there's an equally defensive, like, no, well, there's nothing wrong with those things that he does. Like, other players do that. Like, he's actually really great. So, I swear. <laughs> Is his actually really great? Is that a whiny thing that people say? I, I think I hear it. Yes, it's very whiny. Do they 
do they say it perhaps exactly in my cadence? I, maybe not. Oh, maybe that's great. A little that bit was awesome. But uh, <laughs> we should we should lead off every one of these team um, team podcasts with Mike just doing both sides of the fan base just to stereotype it right away. Well, I, I like love it. it. A- no, angry, this is good. angry fan, Mike. Uh, other yeah, people, angry, the best. other uh, other prominent reporters have uh, sort of alter egos, so maybe I can develop my own. Uh, so <laughs> keep going, like, keep going. But where where is it? Like what what as you like as a Rockets fan but also someone who kind of writes is not just sort of like you have said before like kind of this super homer like what what is if you had to kind of start James Harden's narrative from scratch today like how would you how would you phrase it what what would be in it I think he is an a hall of fame level player who is playing in the worst possible era for his really I think this is I mean, a not, good era not worst possible, worst possible era of public perception. I, mean, I see. I think okay, that makes his sense. His game is tailored to this modern NBA. Okay, but, yeah, I see what you're saying. You know, his his flaws are so easily vinable and shareable, and the hot takes are everywhere that I think, you know, if he had <laughs> even come, if he had even started ten years ago, and In the newspaper had a sta- box score era, I hundred yeah, percent agree. Not even that, like just like ten years. If he had started when like Vince Carter started, <laughs> right, and it had just been, um, you know, the the clips, the highlights, right? You know, the sports, old sports broadcast, Sports Center never never showed this many of like just random ass, you know, <laughs> third quarter defensive slip ups as Vine does, right? Sure. You know, maybe if he got dunked yep. on or crossed up, but you know that those random interludes, Sports Center never showed. So if he came yeah. up in that era. I think the narrative would be very different because, you know, he's doing things offensively that, you know, very few people have ever done. And the classes, guys like LeBron and Michael Jordan and Oscar Roberts, and those are the kind of numbers he's putting up. Um, so I, I think it's unfortunate. But, I mean, it, the fact that he's in a poor era to point out his flaws doesn't negate those flaws. It just makes them more obvious. Yeah, and you could argue perhaps that 10 years ago we should have been pointing out players that were falling asleep on back cuts and all that. Like it does that then that, that can be reframed as not as non-defense. Like we maybe now it's actually that we have more capability to understand and these things really are damaging. I, I don't know. I think it's interesting, but I also think that this is a big opportunity this year for a bounce back season. Dude, I, I Oh, absolutely. I think real quick to put a bow on that though. I, you're 100% right, Ethan. Though, like the, it used to be even with Vince Carter and just to, and Iverson was the perfect example I was trying to wanted to interject with like he didn't play any defense he played passing lanes well but you his man would routinely get his 25 a game you know whatever it may be Sam Cassell would just back him in 15 dribbles into you know a 20 second shot clock and shoot it but the you know the difference is that the national fan base narrative is defined by these four second clips, whatever the the public perception of how he puts himself out there on a celebrity status, which is something you could do in a heightened level now in 2016, that even in the mid nineties, you couldn't, you had to be one of the select shoe guys or Gatorade guys, or there was a brand that defined you. You weren't on a celebrity in a television and pop culture sense, unless you were like the top couple of guys um, like Michael Jordan per se, really. Um, but the, the point is, everything he's done from a national perspective can be defined by these exact same things, these small clips. But the, the, the difference is, I think and this is what makes him such a interesting character to Mike and I is that the perception internally for Rockets fans, I think is that there's a support for their star. 
there's a support for the guy who is is you know leading uh, or who, who is supposed to take this kind of next chapter of, of Rockets basketball after Yao Ming uh, and McGrady and so forth. But I, I think there's also this idea of I'm not sure if he's like our guy, like our leader, the guy who's going to be I, what Iverson did do for his team, um, what Vince did do for Toronto. I'm not sure he has that same that same I don't know mojo. I feel like within Rockets fans, they would say that he does, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, maybe we have one on the. Maybe we have a Rockets fan who could uh, give us what he thinks the pulse of maybe his Rockets website. Uh, yeah, maybe we should ask him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, uh, Prada. I mean, he is our guy. I mean, yeah. I it's I, I can't speak for everyone, um, but as someone who watches the games, you know, every night, even seeing the flaws. You know, if if you watch every game uh, from start to finish, um, you see so much more than the flaws, and you see that mm. you know ninety percent of the things he does on the basketball court um, help the team win. Um, you know, and so it's it's and it's impossible for Rockets fans to miss that. Sure. But you know, Rockets fans are also living in this era, and if you if you're a basketball fan and you follow national media um, and you participate in the national basketball conversation, you also get it, you know? So it's, it, it not, it makes you more defensive because you receive it. <laughs> you know, when you say like, Oh, Harden's great. You get tweeted at saying Harden's trash. Like, Oh, what a right. flop or he sucks. <laughs> and it becomes personal. Yeah. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, so so that's I think that's not helping Rockets fans. The fact that it becomes personal towards them, and then obviously it becomes you know personal oh, back oh, back oh, out. God, it becomes personal. Guy Rockets fans, y'all gotta chill. Like really, y'all gotta. Chill. I know they. It's it's directed at me just as much, if not more, as as directed at the national guys. But Rockets fans as a whole do need to just chill online. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> but, but so, but it also does kind of affect us a little bit because we hear it. Right. You know, it, the, in uh, Iverson coming up in Philly, you know, you could you would read, you know, blatantly racist sports writers, and maybe have that negative perception of him. But it would never affect your opinion of him as a, you know, as a basketball player, because you would yeah. watch him. It, it, it's, it's interesting, though. Like, I don't know. And I, I can't speak for what Houston as a city, you know, every city has its its uh, what they would you know hang their hat on the way they'd like to be viewed nationally. Philly has its uh, blue collar, you know, that's what they'd like to be. Philadelphia is the Rocky, yada yada yada. You can write the uh, the the five second elevator pitch on each city. I'm not sure what Houston wants to be, but Iverson really was the embodiment of that for Philadelphia. So it was one of those situations where people love to, and this again is a Philly thing. They love to hate the national or the uh, national media, but they really do like to hate their, their local media even more. Uh, I mean, you have full radio shows, which are just guys taking calls so they can hang up on the caller because they, they <laughs> hate them. There's just, there's just a, a loud animosity. Howard Eskin's the king of it. Um, and so, but, but the point though, Mike is like that, that is that, is that the defense like on the radio in Houston after a, a tough loss, is there the blame game and in the, in the, in the media plays that, it's on Harden when it's really like, but all the little things like you just said are the only reason they're competitive. I mean, I, I confess I don't listen to much Houston sports okay. radio. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. But uh, you know, I see a lot of the the conversation um, about it, and I think there's I think there's fair criticism and then there's unfair criticism. Mm-hmm. But I think by last year, Dwight helped kind of deflect a lot of the hate sure, um, sure. In, among internal Rockets, just in, like Rocket fan to Rocket <laughs> fan discussions. The lead um, blocker he, of hate. He blocked the hate out of bounds. He swatted it in the fourth row instead of keeping it inbounds. 
<laughs> Harden still got some friendly fire, but uh, you know it, it helped to have two guys next year. If he has another year like that, that he's got no one to hide behind. Yeah, I, I think just one last point on sort of the the Harden narrative, for lack of a better word. And I trust me, I hate that word. I think so. All the time, I, I know, and I hate it. I hate it just because of the shoe what, fits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think just. Uh, stylistically, he is, Iverson was just so much fun to just watch play the game and just this sort of little guy that just kind of drive through the trees. There was something sort of electric about watching him. No stylistically, doubt. Harden to a lot of people is the dude that just jumps into people and draws fouls. And I know that. But Iverson total. shot more free throws than Harden. I agree. I'm just saying <laughs> and, and like, that's true. But we're talking about a guy that lived at the line. That's true, but I, Iverson was also like a smaller dude, and so the fact that with him jumping into dudes is totally different aesthetic experience than James Harden doing. I'm not. Oh, totally. I'm right. not trying to say that that this is like cheap or anything, but I think that does affect his perception that he's to a lot of people he's just the dude that like kind of kind of creates contact, and it's going to be interesting this year. I think this is a real chance for him. I am a firm believer, as I've said in other podcasts, in the the best player sets a tone theory, and. I think last year, for various reasons, you know, say what you want about all the stuff that happened with the Rockets. It wasn't just Harden, but I thought Harden did not set a good tone, and that can kind of seep down into your teammates. And that's why I, I think a lot of I do harp on some of these, like kind of, does he is he moving the ball well enough? Is he falling asleep on defense? These are sort of the sorts of things that I think do set a tone. But two years ago, he set a tone in the opposite manner. He kind of really lifted them to a level that they could not have been. And so, what is it going to be this year? And I think, you know. Fundamentally, this team is fairly easy to figure out. They're going to be great on offense and pretty bad on defense. But if they're going to be – the difference between them being a playoff team and a team that could each, even challenge for a top four seed in the West comes down to the tone that James Harden sets. And I, I actually am fairly optimistic that he'll set a good one this year. Well, I want to get to predictions um, in a second. My last thought on that, just to, to put a bow on it, Iverson was one of the best athletes to ever play in the NBA. Yes, small and, <laughs> and, and electrically talented, but but Harden is an offensive savant. I couldn't put a end this conversation without giving him the full credit he deserves. Like it's you have to be masterful to have footwork and body uh, uh, ability to to get to the line as frequently and still sell it when everyone knows it's coming. Number one, number two. Um, I love when he goes into breakdown mode, tiny, you know, short dribble right in front of himself, and all he's thinking is like the four steps he's going to take to the jump back spot. I think that he has a, a mastery of the offensive game in a way that is totally different than Iverson, but equally special from a basketball standpoint. I don't think everybody recognizes that. That's yes, all I'm saying. I, I think that's all very fair, but. <laughs> To a lot of people, he's still the dude that jumps into guys with free throws. I know, I know. And hopefully hopefully he can uh, be known uh, in a completely different sense. Like, Sean Livingston's not going to be the knee guy someday. He's the sixth man on a couple championships teams eventually, right? Change your narrative. That's the key. Um, now, let's let's uh, get to the predictions. Um, they were a 41-41 and 41, uh, win and loss record team last year. So they were a 500 basketball team. That's nice because now we can decide are they not a 500 team or are they better than a 500 team or, or are they 41-41 and 41 again? Uh, Ethan, you can go first. Set the tone here. We'll let Mike come with the pessimistic hammer at the end. So I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, Prady just put Prady just put me on optimism, uh, optimism mode think, because I don't think it's going to come at the end of this one. All right, all right, all right. Nice. Go, I, go ahead. Because <laughs> I think uh, I think it's exactly right. I think Harden sets the tone for this team, and I think he has a huge year. I really do. I think that all the pieces are in place for him now um, to for him to do 
everything that he is capable of doing. I think two years ago, the big key was him, you know, you know, having a great summer. He played for USA basketball in the, in the world championships. I wish he had played for USA basketball this summer. I was rooting for it other than the, all the issues that I was worried about in Brazil. Um, but I still think that, um, it seems to be committed this summer and I think he's going to have a great year. I, my, the Rockets fan in me wants to predict over 50 wins, but yeah. that's, that's a big jump. Um, and, and it's just gonna it's that's a tough rock to stand on i'm gonna say 48 wins okay okay and before mike goes before mike before you go mike real quick we have 48 from ethan vegas set their over unders today at 41 and a half so we're all level setting now you can go mike i think they'll be over 41 and a half i what i think i think they will be they will bounce back to some degree uh i think what i think will happen is that they'll kind of fly out of the gates uh Harden will get some little early MVP buzz. They'll be in second or they'll be in like third place by Christmas. And then I think they will start to fade a little bit in the second half of the year. One thing that we didn't mention with D'Antoni is that he is traditionally a proponent of short rotations. And I think that may ultimately be a problem if they kind of suffer an injury or two because they will, there is a big drop off between their rotation players and some of the guys beneath them. Right now, they have a lot of dead weight unless some of these young players kind of progress. And I think that will hurt them. And I think they'll end up settling in at like 45 or 46 wins and maybe like the sixth seed in the West. And so I think that is better. And, and look, they're going to have a bad defense and they're going to have a top five offense. But I think that early momentum will carry them enough to be sort of back in the playoff picture. I don't think they're going to win around the playoffs, but I, I do think they will be somewhere in the middle of the West. Maybe I'm going to say maybe the sixth seed, maybe the seventh seed could get up to five, but that's sort of what I see happening to them. Okay. All right. Well, I, I like what you guys are doing here. I'm usually the optimistic one. You guys are both well over what Vegas is set and well over what their win total was last year. Um, I always try to look at it like this. What other teams here do I think are going to be above them in the West? That's number one, right? So, Golden State, San Antonio, and probably the Clippers, I could definitively say, are better than the Rockets next year. And that's really it, if the Rockets play at their ceiling. However, the Rockets play at their bottom, then they're looking you know, to be, are they better than Denver? They're clearly, are they better than you know, Memphis and Dallas still? So there's a mix of teams there. I think they fall right around 46, 47 wins and the five seed right in the middle, probably play the Clippers in the first round. Do you, do you think they're better than Utah? Because I don't. Uh well, there's like the most opposite fitting teams, right? Uh, defensive team that needs to figure out offense first. Offensive team needs to figure out defense. Uh, I would say that Utah would probably be a little better. You know? Okay. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I think, you know, yeah, Utah, I'm not the biggest believer in the Thunder. I know you are. Um, I think Portland. I think the Thunder will be right around Houston. Yeah, they'll, yeah, they'll be close. Portland will be in the picture. I don't quite think Minnesota is there yet. I'm not really high on Dallas. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of where I look at it. I think now that Drew Holiday is sort of out for a while, I don't think you can knock New Orleans out. So yeah, I think it'll be a pretty good year for them, all things considering. Now their long-term future—that's another story, but yeah. maybe for another podcast. <laughs> maybe for another podcast. This is a preview and look back at the summer. We uh, we're very happy to have uh, Ethan Rothstein on. It's very nice of you to join us. Uh, you know, we appreciate every time we can get someone who's been writing extensively on a team who has that inside look, it helps. Is there anything else we should know about from Dream Shake um, that you guys are talking about, writing about, coming into the season? Uh, tell the listeners what to look for. Uh, we should have player previews uh, right around when training camp starts, but uh, training camp starts like two weeks 
um, we, there's been like really nothing, just basically waiting for the Modi Yunus <laughs> contract to be signed. So <laughs> when that signs, we'll be all over it. You know, Very the 15 nice. man will be set. So um, yeah. other than that, just looking forward to the season. Cool, 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 Ethan. Again, thanks so much for uh, for joining us here, and uh, you know, Prada, thanks again for uh, for keeping this one upbeat. I think this was an upbeat one. I feel like we've been too pessimistic with some of the bad teams. We we think the, the playoffs, we do a better job. The playoff teams are upon us, so yeah, that's it's true. The, the tone will start to change. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's still a limited upside podcast, but more upside on these teams we're talking about. Uh, but again, uh, thanks so much for joining us, Ethan Rothstein, Dream Shake. Look for his work, Prada, as always. Thanks for talking sports with me. Until next time, Limited Upside Podcast.